Welcome back into the cockpit for the final time this year. Fucking finally. And then we have next year. Ah, fuck. It, which is basically the year of co-pilots. It's 2022. Look at all of those twos in that year. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Except it won't, because there's still COVID. The world's still shit. We should do something special for the February 22nd, 2022 episode. Yeah, probably. Like, that's a lot of twos. Anyways, like I said, we're back in the cockpit. Yep. And just wanted to wish everybody a happy holidays. Yeah. And enjoy whatever holiday you celebrate this time of year, if you celebrate any. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the capitalist Christmas. Yeah, well, like, I think that's what Christmas mostly is now. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I think Christmas has at least publicly become a holiday that's more about, like, being together with people and sharing gifts yeah. than about the Christian roots of the holiday. Oh, no, definitely. And I'm much th- happier with that. Or even the pagan roots of the holiday. Yeah, I'm happier with it in that circumstance. I'm not so happy with the uh, capitalism portion, but yeah, it's a holiday. So, of course, it goes hand in hand, you know. It's not true. Not all holidays are just abysmal products of capitalism. If you have the day off in America, yeah, it is. Memorial Day. Memorial Day sells. Uh, well, that was, that was it. That was the only holiday I could think of mm-hmm. that I have off of work and isn't like obviously tied to capitalism. Like July 4th is like July 4th sells, fireworks. Any fucking like national holiday you can think of where the government actually recognizes it and stops doing stuff, there's some form of capitalism tied to it. President's Day. There are President's Day sales. Fucking hell, dude. Yeah. Like Halloween's like the least... <laughs> I mean, other than the candy, right? Like, and the costumes and the decorations. Costumes don't have to be products of capitalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can cosplay, mm-hmm. do your own thing. Yeah, you just have to buy the materials. Yeah, but that, that's just a cost of living. No. no. Yes. No, that's that's not a cost of living. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for it, but like, nah. Yeah, okay. I give up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> New Year's Day. No, places still have sales. Basically, if it's a holiday, at the very least, furniture stores have sales. Uh, I think New Year's Day is the closest we can come, though, right? Like, Yeah, I think it's mainly just furniture stores that are like, New Year's sales. Yeah, because... Things I expect to be open on New Year's Day are closed, which is just surprising. Yeah. Like a mall that one time. That was fucking annoying. Yeah. Anyways, so happy holidays. And unlike a normal interstitial in the cockpit episode where we just catch you up on everything in our lives, which in our lives, I just beat Square Enix's Voice of Cards, a great game. And Spose dropped a new album. You should go listen to it. And I watched a bunch of review and analysis videos for things I've never watched before sometimes. And other things I have. So that's what we've been doing. But unlike our normal interstitial episodes where we catch you up on all of that, it's December and we hate ourselves. So we're putting more effort into this month. We went back and watched some of our favorite Christmas episodes of television. Holiday episodes. And not even television. My bad. We went back and experienced some of our favorite Christmas episodes of media. I stand by my statement of holiday episodes because uh, the first one I'll be talking about celebrates both Hanukkah and Christmas in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wild. One of mine mentions Hanukkah. Nice. Awesome. The first one I'm going to be talking about is from like 1995. Okay. You want to start us off then? Yeah. Take the hold here? The one I'm going to be talking about first is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The episode... Go, go, Power Rangers! And the episode is called uh, I Dream of a White Ranger because I Dream of a White Christmas. Yeah, but White Rangers are... The White Ranger is specifically better than a White Christmas. Oh, yeah, definitely. So when you think about actually the show in general, it makes sense that Hanukkah's involved though because Haim Saban... Yeah. The man who made Power Rangers a thing in America. Yeah. Who made Power Rangers. He is Jewish. So, like. I want to be honest with you. I didn't even know Saban was a person's name until like three years ago. Really? Four years ago. When was the live action Power Rangers movie? 2016, 2017, something like that. Okay. So, like four or five years ago. Yeah. 
Until, like, before then, I just thought it was the name of a company. You know, like, Amazon or Walmart. I mean, it, it is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Sabon Enterprises is a company. I didn't realize it was I don't named think after a person. Enterprise. I think it's Sabon Media. I didn't realize it was named after a person. Yeah. Yeah. So, I Dream of a White Ranger takes place in season three. So, pretty early. Mm. How many episodes are in a season? Like, 50 or some shit. Oh, never mind. Less yeah. early. But, so we're on the third adaptation of Sentai Ranger Show stuff. What were the first two? They're on Outfit 3. So you have... Oh! You, you, okay, but it's still the same Tommy, Jason, Kimberly... No, no, they've changed some people. We don't have Jason anymore. We have the new Red Ranger, Rocky, but we still have Tommy. We still have Billy. We still have Kimberly, but this should be just before Kim leaves and we get Kat. I don't know who Kat is. She replaces Kimberly. <laughs> Nobody replaces Kimberly. She lives forever in my heart. But yeah, so this is the one... So you have your starting outfits in Mighty Morphin, and then you get the White Ranger with like his outfit. Wait, Billy's still there though, right? Yeah, Billy's still there. Cool, 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 cool. Billy leaves about the same time as Tommy, so later, like after Zia Rangers. Tommy is so cool. So you have your initial outfits in Mighty Morphin, right? And then the next outfits are you remember the White Ranger outfit, right? The total pauldrons, the uh, black and gold, the black uh, and gold. Yeah, yeah, and then the white overall. Okay, yeah. obviously. Do you remember everyone else's outfits when they update from there? They all have like a similar layout, but instead of the pauldrons, they just have like the white, vest, white vest like setup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they kind of look like it kind of looks like Saiyan armor almost. Yeah, except it's not even out there, so that it is part of the design of their uh, yeah, yeah, okay. suit. I'm there. Yeah, because his White Ranger design was from the show. That those ones are them from. <laughs> yeah, and then the one after that is the first Power Ranger Ninja outfits. Like the one from the movies. Yeah, I think they use the ninja outfits in there. Like the kind of bad looking ninja outfits. Like if you want, I can tell you the name of all these in Japanese. Like you got Mighty Morphin Power Ranger Season 1 and their outfits are... That one is adapted from pieces of Kyoryu Sentai Zero Ranger. And then the ones with like the White Ranger outfit that are similar uh, is uh, Gosai Sentai Dai Ranger. And then um, the ninja outfits are from a Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger. This is the, these are the outfits I was talking about. Yes, except obviously in, when when they're from the Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger, they have the, the masks on, yeah, yeah, because it's not the same the actors cloth masks, in, yeah. the com- in the action scenes. But yeah, no, exactly that. The, the movie that introduces those is such a fucking banger. True. God, Power Rangers, I don't care what you guys say, this isn't nostalgia glasses. Power Rangers is good. Yeah. Holy shit, Power no, Rangers No, like, I actually enjoyed re-watching this episode. It was obviously very much meant for children, but it still wasn't bad. Like, everything about it that would be bad mm-hmm. is just because it's so fucking campy. And yeah. as an adult now, it's so campy, it's hilarious. And because it's approaching 30 years old. Yeah. So, I Dream of a White Ranger, the entire plot of this episode is very much this is an American episode. So, less less fighty costume stuff. They're never in their costumes this episode. Huh interesting because so they're all helping out kids and stuff because they're no longer in high school yeah tommy's dating kim bulk and skull are uh two seconds away from going to prison no they're police officers did you forget that they become did i did i stutter Uh, did i fucking stutter but yeah so they're police officers you're you're right though (laughs) they're never going to prison they're police officers yeah exactly they'll get paid vacation Maybe relocated to a different district. I almost just shot liquid out of my <laughs> nose. So the Power Rangers are helping. They're helping more unfortunate children, I guess. Like, I don't exactly know where they're at. I just want to be clear. We're still on that ACAB train. Even Bulk and Skull, ACAB. Yeah, obviously. Bulk becomes better when you know he's not a police officer. So we see them, like, helping some kids, you know, hey, seeing stuff. And there's, like, this whole plot where the Yellow Ranger, who I can't remember her name. Is it still Tren? No, it's trans replacement who i don't remember so mm. but 
You see, I don't remember any of the second generation Rangers names. You said Rocky, and my mom was like, oh yeah, that was a Red Ranger at one yeah, no. point. This is generation one and a half, basically. This is the transition period. Yeah. So so there's this whole background plot of her like helping a kid because she's upset that her dad's not going to see her seeing her or whatever. But the main thing is Lord Zed hates Christmas because, well, he's an evil warlord who I forgot until I watched this episode is married to Rita Repulsa. Yeah, he's Rita Repulsa's husband. Yeah, I fucking forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I just remember him being so much fucking better than her as a villain. He's also the brother-in-law of Rito Repulso. No, Rito Revolto. My bad. The brother-in-law of Rito Revolto. Yes, who is our big bad in this episode, actually. So Zed's plan for ruining Christmas is to basically have these spinning tops, very much based on like a classic dreidel design, Okay. that he's going to force Santa to make and give to all the kids to brainwash them so he can control them. Wait, are you telling me Santa's canon? Yes, we see Santa in this episode. Santa exists in the world of Power Rangers because the Power Rangers all have one continuous, like, interconnected story. So even the currently airing Power Rangers, as long as they're still connected, which I'm pretty sure they are, Santa is real. That's amazing. Yeah. Also, better yet, holiday magic is real. Because that's what stops them from being able to transform. It fucks with the morphing grid, and they can't transform at the North Pole. It also stops <laughs> Rito no, from- no, hold on. <laughs> you know, Zordon has to be like cussing like himself. He's like, God, why did I fi- why find a planet with holiday crit- magic? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. So Zed sends Rito to like go commandeer Santa's workshop and force the elves to make the toys. And so the Power Ranger get called to Zordon. He's just like, you guys got to go save Santa and save Christmas. So they go and Billy, because, you know, he's the smart one, is like, if we can't use our morphine powers here, Rito shouldn't be able to use his powers. They work basically the same. He's right. He can't. And they end up dealing with them by briefly sneaking inside the workshop in plain clothes, which they're being told they're sent to the North Pole. And now they're like, hey, Zordon, can you just like teleport us back home real quick so we can grab like coats or some shit? They are standing outside in like thin jackets at the North Pole, plotting how to deal with Rito and Goldar, who gets sent there later. So they pop in quickly, talk to an elf, make a plan we don't know about. And then draw Rito, <laughs> draw Rito outside. Justice. And this... they beat Rito and Goldar, who show up, by throwing snowballs at them until the two villains get so flustered and annoyed that they run back inside, where said elf then trips them with a ribbon. This show, this episode, is better than all three of the shows I chose. <laughs> they tie them up, and then Santa and the elves are like worried because the elves were already running a bit behind schedule. Okay. So the Power Rangers join in and help make and package toys with Santa and the elves. And then Santa gives them a bag to take back to the kids. And then they sing stuff. Uh, one of the songs they were singing earlier was a song about Hanukkah, which, by the way, song fucking slapped. Like, I don't know Hanukkah songs. I'm going to look up some Hanukkah songs because I really enjoyed that one. Like, it was better than, like, 90% of Christmas songs I've heard. Okay, so I have one question for you. Yeah. Santa's real. Mm-hmm. Which means children are delivered presents. Yes. Other than, I assume the answer is holiday magic. But how do, like, parents not think Santa's real then? I assume it's just holiday magic. I have to assume it's holiday magic, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember buying that gift I totally didn't buy. Yeah, I would have to assume. Okay. Because that's like the biggest plot hole in every Santa Claus's real Christmas movie ever. Yeah. So, Or, in this case, Power Rangers episode. So the episode basically just ends. We see Rita and Zed yelling. It's very much that classic joke of, I don't know why I married you or I hate you. You make my life horrible. Because they're, they're arguing because they failed their stuff. Yeah, you know, and then classic comedy. Mm-hmm. And then a present shows up. And it's just all of their tops put back in a box. So mm-hmm. they get angry at Santa. And then uh, Rito, it turns out Rito got a present for Goldar. Goldar doesn't open it. He just slaps it with his sword a few times while he's holding it in his hand. 
That's basically the end of the episode. But there are credits, and in the credits, we see Rito talking to the elf, uh, the, the one that they made their plan with and everything, like the number one elf. Literally, Santa calls her number one. She doesn't get a name, because well, of course not. Slave labor, Justice. Exactly. You, you don't name slaves. So she's just like going on about how he's probably nice and everything deep in his heart. He looks down at his bony chest because Rito is a skeleton. Technically, he's supposed to represent like this Japanese folklore spirit thing of like a bunch of people dying together and then forming a giant skeleton specter thing that then consumes people. Yeah, I think I've seen that Pokemon. Yeah, and he, he just looks down at his bony chest, which he's just been into and he's just like, nah, there's no goodness in my heart. I don't even have one of those. <laughs> and that's the end of the I Dream of a White Ranger. And honestly, I actually really enjoyed it. You really went way deeper on this than I had any intention of. And now I feel like I'm just going to let down the audience. <laughs> You're fine. I don't plan on going too deep into my next one. Okay, because like, I, I just really enjoyed this one when I rewatched it. I, I could tell. It sounds amazing. I have been vaguely tempted multiple times over the last year to be like, let's restart Power Rangers from the beginning. Yeah. I'm not going to watch all of Power Rangers, but I'll get through Mighty Morphin. Yeah. Uh, because Mighty Morphin was great. I'd probably watch through Mighty Morphin and then jump to Time Force. Because Time Force was the one that was really shaking off when I was actually a kid. Because like I don't remember which one it is. But Mighty Power Morphin Ra- started before I was born. The Power Rangers were there in a space station. That, that's Space Force, isn't it? They're like Space Rescue? No, Rescue Team. Rescue Force is another one. That should just be like Space Force or some shit. That was good. And then also Ninja Storm is very good. Yeah. Ninja Storm is surprisingly good for a quote-unquote late-era Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Which is actually now mid-era Power Rangers. Yeah. So, uh, what show you want to talk about? I'm going to start with Scrubs. Okay, okay. Season 1, episode 11. I don't remember the title. My Own Personal Jesus? My Own Personal Jesus. That's the one. And I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't going to go near as deep into this, but this episode is very early in the series. Yeah. JD's been at, the ho- been at Sacred Heart for like three months, and he's already been ground away and like has no hope for humanity, like depressed, doesn't understand how people can be excited for Christmas yeah. when they work in a place like Sacred Heart. It's a great episode, not because like... JD's story is great, but because, like, Turk as a character, mm-hmm. they've made it clear that he's a religious person Yeah, very early in the series. There is uh, one thing that this episode reminded me of that's a continuity error in the show overall, though. Uh, Carla ends up being fairly religious later on in the series. Like, she talks about how it was serious with her, no, see, with her family and Carla stuff. Carla was raised religious, but she's not religious. That's her character. Okay. She wants to raise her daughter religious. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. For okay. some reason, yeah, Carla yeah. wants to indoctrinate yeah, yeah, a small yeah. child. You're good. Continue. <laughs> that's what I That's what I was thinking of. But, like, this episode really deals with Turk mm-hmm. more, more than it deals with JD. JD's whole storyline here is, like, kind of the B story, mm-hmm. which is really weird for a Scrubs episode because typically JD's story is the main story. Uh, unless... Arguably, I'd say it's the C story. I think even Elliot's story is more important. Yeah, typically, like, the storytelling process for Scrubs, if an episode's called My Something, Mm -hmm. it's JD's story. If it's called Her Something... Or His Something or Your Something. Yeah, JD hands off narration to somebody else when he... By by, always, by bumping into them or touching them. Mm -hmm. The show's very clear about that. And when we end an episode after he's handed off narration and he gets closing line, it's only after they touch him to pass narration back. I think the only one... I think there's one that doesn't do that. And I think it's the fairy tale one where Dr. Cox is telling a story to Jack. Nope. It starts with JD wishing okay. him a good night. Oh, yeah. And it's just the very beginning of the episode. Yep. Okay. Never mind. Um, I love Scrubs storytelling, but like in my own personal Jesus, JD has Christmas Eve off mm-hmm. and Turk has to work. He is, is working like a, a ridiculous doctor shift, like a 12, yeah. 14 hour shift overnight Christmas night. And he's just flooded with all of these like terrible things happening. People are getting stabbed, car crashes, 
spousal abuse. Yeah, because Christmas is one of the most high rate for suicide attempts and just family on family violence in America. And accident. Yeah. And like all of this stuff is just piling up and, and this is Turk's first three months at hospital as well. Mm-hmm. And seeing like this day, which is supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ in his eyes, just be all of this death, essentially, shakes him fundamentally to his core where he's like, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. Yeah, like he planned making them all go to mass on Christmas Day, right? The other ones were just like... Yeah, like Christmas morning. Like uh, he would get home from work, change clothes, and they would all go to mass. So when he gets off work, he just comes in and he's like fuck it i'm not i'm not going i can't fucking go yeah like god isn't real he literally has a major fucking crisis of faith yeah Yeah. uh in the b or c story earlier in the day elliot is working her pro bono hours in the free clinic and she is assigned to work with a young woman complaining of abdominal cramps and it turns out this young woman is pregnant she claims to be a virgin but she's eight months pregnant and the thing here is, for Elliot's character, she's being, Dr. Kelso is trying to relegate her into being a OBGYN or pediatrics or a family. Because that's what women go into most typically, partially because they're pressured by other doctors, but also because just that's the roles they've ended up in historically. Yeah, not historic, so much anymore nowadays. There's a historical pressure along with it. But she doesn't want to do that. Although this part introduces a continuity error going forward because in later seasons and even like next season season two elliot is very like i want to have a baby god i wish like i could find a man like but it could be because of this episode like well literally at the end of this episode when she sees the baby she says the thing that she said she wouldn't which is oh a baby yeah so when elliot Fails to do her job because... Tries to hand her off to mm -hmm. an actual, like, family doctor, OBGYN. Because she literally just refuses to deal with this because Kelso... Is trying to force her into Mm -hmm. it. This girl just leaves the hospital because... Yep. Like, she doesn't... She doesn't... She doesn't really believe she's pregnant, right? Like... Well, that and, like... She's being ignored and, like... She went to... Like, she was clearly upset and Elliot just, like, ignores her. mm -hmm. But while they were talking, Elliot found out that she goes to, like, the Christmas tree in Mm -hmm. the city where Sacred Heart is, which is technically Seattle, but they never call it Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um, the big Christmas tree. She's been going there every night all week. So when Elliot talks to Turk and JD about this, she passes that information on. Yeah, because she needs to find her because she has some medical problem that's going to cause issues it's with the child. It's called HELP, H-E-E-L-P. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it typically develops in the 37th week of pregnancy or later or after giving birth. And it causes a bunch of complications with pregnancy. And if it happens before you give birth and not treated, it's nearly always fatal for the baby. Yeah. I don't remember what it is, mm. but Elliot's trying to find her because she needs medical attention. And Turk, still struggling with his faith, is staying on this roof. And there was a, there was a scene earlier where he, he takes JD and Carla to the window and is like, quote the Bible passage about... The they, star. They, yeah, they saw the star and they knew that the king was born. And JD was like, that's just a Christmas tree, bro. And Turk is like, that's not the point, JD. Like, the point yeah. was... But Turk is on the roof of the hospital and he's still having his crisis. But he looks over, sees the star on this Christmas tree from the, from across the town, and it all clicks in his brain. And so we get this montage sequence of him running down the stairs, getting JD and Elliot and Carla, and they run to the Christmas tree where they find this woman who gives birth. It's a Christmas miracle. There was another Christmas miracle in the episode that kind of get, like gave Turk a little faith, but like that came before his Christmas Eve night. But the whole thing is an examination of, of Turk's belief in his religion, mm-hmm. which, while not necessarily a large anchor to the show going forward, is still a large facet to his character, even if it's not a, yeah. a thing that's continually hammered on. So this is a really cool episode because it, it deals a lot with Turk and his beliefs and how like being in the hospital affects him, which is not something we get a lot. Most of Scrubs is just JD-focused. Yeah. Also, we get Dr. Cox 
dressed up as the Grinch. Which is just great. Just amazing. Anything with Dr. Cox is fantastic. Also, Scrubs is my favorite sitcom. This episode's very good. I, I think I think that's it for me. Nice, nice. It's not as funny as Santa Claus existing <laughs> in Power Rangers. Rita having an evil brother named Rito and Dreidels of Doom. Yeah. Like, I just feel defeated right now. <laughs> if it helps, the next one that I've got is legitimately not good. Didn't it amuse me. It, it made me sad. And not in like a, oh, it told a sad story. It made me sad. It just made me sad because I watched it. But how did it make you sad? The first 45 seconds of it are the greatest moments of cartoon history in the 90s. That's true. So I also watched Have Yourself a Morlock Little Xmas, which is an X-Men Christmas special, which part of me just enjoys because they just have this random Christmas special where everyone's relaxed and having fun, like literally right after major events with Apocalypse in the show. Yeah, you have to have a de-stressing moment. But Apocalypse isn't really dealt with at that point in the show. He's just, like, proven how much of a fucking threat he is. Yeah, you still have to have a de-stressing moment. But, so I watched this one because I remembered one specific scene from it, which just amused me. And it kind of the B story of it, which is Gambit and Jean Grey are both fixing Christmas Eve dinner. And they're just fighting about how things should be fixed and cooked. And I love Gambit. Gambit's my favorite X-Men. He's fantastic. Jean Grey is all right. Half the time, it depends on who's writing here most of the time in the comics and stuff. The show, she's not great, but whatever. But uh, other than those scenes, it's kind of just not good. Wolverine's briefly amusing in the very beginning when he's just being a gruff asshole and doesn't like Christmas. You know, you know, being Wolverine. Yeah, but then from there... Morlock issues happen. They have to save someone's life, which they do by giving a transfusion of Wolverine's blood. And uh, Storm just proves how fucking shitty of a leader she is as being the one in charge of the Morlocks. And then instead of accepting responsibility at the end, she's just like, you're right. I'm shit. I'm going to abdicate my position here to one of you guys, but still not offer any help besides like making Logan do a blood transfusion. Wild shit. Yeah. The best parts are Geb and Jean Grey arguing because he's just like, this is fucking bad. Like, let me add some like thyme, some rosemary. Do you want to hear some wilder shit though? Do you remember how the X-Men cartoon ends? The series. Very poorly. You know the big enemy from Shang-Chi, the the giant demon thing that came out of that door? Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the final protagonist, the final antagonist for the X-Men universe. And it's atten- and it feeds on fear. That's what it feeds yeah. on. So it's attempting to instill fear in every living being at the same time by destroying the universe, but like having them know it's destroying the universe. Yeah. So it can ascend to godhood. Mm-hmm. And the end of the X-Men series is Jean Grey and Professor Xavier together using the Phoenix Force um, to spread tranquility to all living beings, to prevent them from being afraid as the universe is destroyed, just to prevent the... the- I don't remember the name of that, that villain is mm. from ascending to godhood. So the end of the X-Men unit series is they all lose. They still lose. They just prevent an evil god from rising. The entire universe is still destroyed, though. Dope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Jubilee is shit in this episode. I don't want to say it, but Jubilee is shit in every episode. Yeah. That's the X-Men animated series. I was mildly amused at the point where... Uh, Actually, I might be confusing the comic run that went along with X-Men the animated series with the animated series itself. Pretty sure you are. Yeah, that makes sense. My bad. The most amusing part, besides the whole Gambit, Jean Grey thing, was a Jubilee Storm and Wolverine went shopping, and Wolverine is unhappy while doing stuff. And yep. at a point, they're just like, fine, you can go. That, Here's that... your chance now. And th- there's like a gap in the crowd, and Wolverine just runs out of the mall. And the reason why it's good is because of bad animation. That scene feels like it has the same energy as the scene in Dragon Ball GT where Vegeta takes his daughter shopping. Yeah. Like, that feels like the same type of energy those scenes have. Yeah, basically. Also, at the end of the episode, Jubilee has taken more presents into the sewers in the Morlock tunnels than she bought at the mall. Continuity error. Amazing. 
She took five presents, dropped one. They never showed her picking it back up. <laughs> so she had four presents. Then they're in the tunnel. She has five presents again. Then she gives the presents to the Morlocks. And I can count four boxes because they're partially off the screen. I think there's a fifth one there. Two get opened, but the size doesn't reduce at all, which implies there's at least seven, six or seven, which is more than she ever had. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So my second show... Beast also tries to make a cranberry, a cranberry sauce-like drink thing after quoting stuff about alcohol. But he's just like, non-alcoholic. And uh, it blows up. It's amazing. Yep. That portrayal of Beast is why he's one of my favorite X-Men. Oh, yeah. And Wolverine was upset because the explosion wasn't a battle. That portrayal of Beast is why he's one of my favorite X-Men. And why the correct Krakoa arc, where Beast <laughs> is like a eugenicist, really, really hurts me in my feels. Because yeah, but Beast has been like a horrible person for a very long time in the comics. I know, but that series, he was a great, great, amazing person. Yeah. And of course, he was hanging upside down while he did lab stuff, because he always does. Yeah. Uh, so my second show... Another sitcom, and it's the single best Christmas episode of the sitcom. They had four, so mm. I, I feel like I can argue this. That is season two, episode 11 of Community, Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas. So before I get into this, I just want to say above Christmas trees and Christmas lights, presents, time spent with your family, midnight Christmas mass, I guess, snow, candy canes, above all of this... One thing is more Christmas than all others. Michael Bublé singing Christmas song? I mean, that's number two on the list. Okay. But number one is the Rankin-Bass Christmas movies. They're more Christmas than anything. The Claymation Rankin-Bass yeah, Christmas yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're more Christmas than Christmases. More Christmas Like, than if I was Christmas. in a coma for an indeterminate amount of time, woke up, and there was a Rankin-Bass Christmas movie on TV, I would just assume it was Christmas. We could be in the middle of fucking June, and it could be sunny and bright outside, but there's a Rankin-Bass film on TV. It's fucking Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I would actually just immediately assume the same thing. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, fuck, global warming. But it's Christmas. I don't think my mind would immediately go global warming is that bad. I'd be like, I'm in some fucking specialized hospital. Something must really be fucked up with what's going on with me. Because that's, that's fucking Christmas. It's Christmas now. I prefaced the, the discussion about Abed's uncontrollable Christmas with the Rankin-Bass briefest because this entire episode leans very hard on the Rankin-Bass Christmas Claymation series. Yeah. However, this isn't Claymation, it's stop motion. Yeah, yeah, same thing, really. They're stuffed dolls with silicone heads and articulated joints. Yes. So the entire episode's in stop motion with Claymation-like figures. Mm -hmm. And the only one who actually can see that is Abed. Everybody else sees the world as it normally is, but for us and Abed, it is stop motion mm -hmm. and because of that he's like look guys it's the most important christmas of all time i know because we're stop motion and the rest of the community crew is like well what the fuck what first what the fuck do you mean second what do we need to do then and he's like you need to move more first of all because you need to take advantage of being stop motion second we have to sing and they're like uh no thanks you start some shit like that and so he starts and starts singing a christmas song and this christmas song ends with him jumping across hoods of cars in the college parking lot where he's eventually tased mm -hmm. because he's destroying property destroying property and he's a brown man destroying property he, and they were and they were explicitly instructed to not celebrate holidays yes that's true too mm -hmm. that, that's an underrunning theme of this episode although it's very very like tongue-in-cheek and only referenced twice mm -hmm. so abed then has to go see the psychiatrist like three or four times anytime yvette nicole brown's character is talking they mention it again so then he has to see the psych professor at campus and once he's at the psych professor's office if you know anything about the community the psych professor is a garbage human being who's only interested in like furthering himself and not fame like, success or money or all three and he, and he sees he hears what abed's saying and he's like 
this sounds like a book deal. So he wants to solve Abed's mental trauma? And Abed's like, I have no mental trauma. I don't need therapy. Thank you. Bye. The only thing I need to figure out is the secret of Christmas. The meaning of The Christmas. meaning of Christmas, yeah. So Abed goes off on an adventure to find the meaning of Christmas and sexually molests Dr. Kim. I know what the meaning of Christmas is. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Defeating Lord Zed and his minions from overthrowing Christmas and Santa. That is the meaning of Christmas. If you haven't done that, you're not participating in Christmas correctly. Interesting theory. I would counterpoint and say that that's the true meaning of the holidays because it was holiday magic, not Christmas magic. And Yes, but specifically Santa is for Christmas, so it only saves Christmas. Lord Zed just apparently doesn't care about Hanukkah. He's cool I, with Hanukkah. Think, he just likes Christmas. I don't think that's true by the fact that Santa, like, Santa's a Christmas concept, but yeah. Santa delivers toys to all the good boys and girls, regardless of religion, implying that Santa himself is is non-religiously non Non-denominational. Yeah, but that then raises the question. Does that mean, do you think Santa delivers toys to people who don't participate in the, like, pastime of Christmas on, like, their respective like, days do, of celebration? Like, during like, Hanukkah or during yeah, Kwanzaa? Like, do you think he drops off toys for children during Hanukkah at certain times yeah like yule during festivus yeah for the rest of us mm -hmm. i have no idea none whatsoever because yeah by his lore he gives toys to all good boys and girls not just the ones who celebrate christmas mm -hmm. also he gives all the naughty ones coal yeah so like even if for some reason santa only thought people who participated in christmas were good it still means he has to give all the other ones coal yes <laughs> There's some logical fallacies in Christmas lore. Yes, 100%. Continue. So he sexually molests Dr. Kim, whose name is Chang, because he thinks Chang's a snowman and he's putting buttons on him. And um, the bottom button is actually Chang's jean button. Yeah. Or implied to be his jeans button. So, but while he's doing this, he's singing a sad short song about Christmas, literally called a short, sad song, short, sad Christmas song. It's very short, very sad, and very Christmas. Yeah. It has the same lyrical vocal pattern breakdown as a sexy getting ready song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Amazing. This is a sexy getting ready song. A very a sad, lonely Christmas song. <laughs> Like, it has the same, like, vocal breakdown for it. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's like, also a great all. show. Yeah. Sorry, it, it just popped in my head. While he's doing this, he gets a text message from Britta, and she's like, hey, I know the secret of Christmas. It's in the study room. You should come to the study room. Yeah. And he shows up at the study room, and it's actually an ambush group therapy session. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's an ambush group therapy session. I know they say it's not, but that's exactly what it is. They have a wizard there. He's a psychiatrist. No, he's a wizard. Actually, he's a doctor of psychiatry. I don't think he's an actual psychiatrist. Yeah, he's not a psychiatrist. He's a doctor of psychology. I don't know if he has a license to practice as a psychiatrist. He doesn't. Probably not. So they ambush him with this group therapy session, which they present as, I don't remember how they present it. Holiday hypnosis. A holiday hypnosis, where they're adventuring off into Christmas land, equivocally. Yeah, Christmas wonderland. In Abed's head to find out the true meaning of Christmas. And so when they do this, Abed starts narrating. And mm -hmm. it, I, honestly, this reminds me very strongly of the Dungeons and Dragons episode, which is no longer available to stream on Hulu because Pierce wears blackface in that episode. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's a dark elf. And because Chevy Chase is problematic in general. I, don't, I mean, like, that, that's yeah. not necessarily that. That's not because of that episode. That's just me making a statement and no, reminding Chevy, people. Chevy Chase is problematic in general. Mm, that was just me reminding people. Like, I'm not condoning blackface, but that episode is amazing and hilarious. Yeah, the episode's fun. Just because of the one faux pas, I don't know if, like, the entire episode deserved to be. I feel like we could just cut out Chevy Chase's face the entire time. <laughs> just not show Chevy Chase. Yeah, like, honestly, 100% would work. I think I could watch it all community like that. <laughs> I'd watch all of community like that. It'd make the one story arc about Chevy Chase's father really, really weird, but um oh, no no no, like you can show his body, just never show me his face. Yeah, um just digitally remove it. Yeah, so and like I don't wanna 
I don't want to defend community use the use of blackface because there's no defending it. Yeah. Scrubs did the same thing in a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. That those have also been pulled from a lot of streaming services. Yeah. And like it's because the creators don't want that to be associated with them, which is completely reasonable. I don't have a defense for it. Never mind. Hmm. I don't know what I was gonna there's say. There's not a defense for it. It's just it's a, it's sad that you lose the entire episode. Yes, because a lot of the episodes had other things going for them besides that, but I do understand why it is entirely insensitive. Anyways, once they're at Christmas Wonderland, they all take their Christmas forms, except for Abed, whose form is still the same. Mm-hmm. But this means that all the characters are no longer claymation, stop motion, not claymation versions of themselves. They are now, in the case of Britta, she's Britta Bot, because as they say, she is cold and heartless. Yep. Annie becomes a ballerina because she is fragile and easily broken. Fragile and tightly wound. Fragile and tightly wound. Jeff becomes Jeff in a box. They don't really explain it, but I think it's very obvious that Jack in a box are the most asshole toys imaginable. And Jeff is kind of like the biggest asshole in the room, even though he's in a room with the actual Chevy Chase. Who becomes uh, uh, Teddy, Te- Pierce. Teddy Yeah, Teddy Pierce. Teddy Bear Pierce. And Yvette Nicole Brown's character becomes a baby doll. And Troy becomes a Troy soldier. Oh yeah, Troy becomes a Troy soldier. How did I forget about Donald Glover? I honestly don't fucking know. He's he and Abed are the best part of community. Depending on I'm the episode. I'm Abed in the morning. Depending on the episode. Sometimes Jeff gets to take it. Sometimes Jeff Winger gets to be the best character in community. And that's okay. No, he gets to be the best in episode. He's not the best in community. That's also a fair re- retaliation. Anyways, the rest of the story plays out like Willy Wonka in that as they're adventuring through the Christmas Wonderland trying to get to the North Pole. Um, they're each eventually eliminated because they don't believe in Christmas enough or so on and so forth until we're left with Annie, Troy, and Pierce, the Christmas wizard. And Abed. The Christmas wizard, who is the psychiatrist, the doctor of psychology, um, has been kicked out because he took them to the frozen cave of memories and Abed essentially breaks him with his own attempts at therapy. Yeah. But then we're on a train on our way to the North Pole and the winter wizard comes back. And we found out that he's not a winter wizard, but a winter warlock and is trying to destroy Christmas for a bed. And so Annie and Troy sacrifice themselves to stop the winter wizard from therapying a bed. So uh, they effectively drag him out of the study room. We just don't see that, obviously. And then it's just Pierce and Abed. And Pierce has only been here from the get-go for cookies. Which I, I actually understand that reasoning. But at this point, we actually get like some actual good character development for Pierce as a character. He comes back in the room, yep. and Abed's like, I thought you left. And he's like, going home at this time of the year is lonely and depressing, and I don't want to be by myself. Yeah. And like it's one of the most humanizing moments for Pierce as a character. Yeah. It's very good. Very good, making me care at all about Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh they eventually make it to the North Pole, and Troy finds the meaning of Christmas, and it's Lost Season 1 on DVD. Yep. Pierce is like, so what does that mean? And Abed is like, it's a metaphor, because the ending's unfulfilling. Yeah. <laughs> and the Doctor of Psychology comes back into the room, but in the claymation, shows back up in Senate, shows up in Senna's workshop, and reveals what's been going on the whole time. The entire thing that caused this psychic break for Abed is that he got a postcard from his mother, and it was like, hey, I know every year on December 9th, we have this tradition of Christmas of, movie marathon of being together and watching the Rankin Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie together. Mm-hmm. But this year, well, you're a grown up and I have a new family. Take care of your dad for me. Bye. And like, yeah, it's a very like, so, like, it's really weird that he didn't know she already had like a new family. Like, well, I think like he knew she had a new family because his parents were divorced. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I think it's more just the connotation of like, she doesn't even like really view me as 
a son so much anymore. Yeah, and that's essentially the end of the episode mm-hmm. is him coming to terms with this. But him and all his friends get together and they watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because Abed realizes the true meaning of Christmas is found family. No, for him, right? For him, it's now found family. But the true meaning yeah. of Christmas is the meaning we give Christmas. Yeah. Like he said, the true ending of Lost Season 1 is the ending that you interpret from the ending of Lost Season 1. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just true to the yeah. ending of Lost in general. And so in the same way, Christmas is about the meaning we give Christmas. And the meaning that he used to prescribe to Christmas was time with his mother, and now it's time with his friends. Yeah, it's a very touching ending. Nice. Nice. I know I actually really enjoy that community special. And then we get Troy and Abed in stop motion. Yeah. Very good. They tra- they trade heads. It's and Troy hilarious. questions why you can actually see the stop motion now. No, he questions why Abed can why see the Why Abed can see the stop motion, because this... Troy's the one pretending to the stop motion now. Yep. Yeah. Very good. So what happened to that whole, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the, like, reviewing okay, it all. so to be thing. fair, Communities is very, like, just in my head forever. Yeah. Like, it's so good. I honestly barely watched this episode when I rewatched it. I, I spent most of the time on Reddit on my phone. Not because I didn't like the episode, but because I'm easily distractible. Yeah. So the final thing that I re-experienced mm-hmm. for Christmas stuff is actually from a podcast. Our first podcast interaction review thing. Wow. I wonder what this could foreshadow. Yeah. So I happen to uh, re-listen to Copilot's Christmas special We're- about Turbo Man. Where we listen, where we watch Jingle All the Way. Yeah, I hate, I love that movie so much, but it's so terrible. Yeah, no, I actually didn't do that. That'd be meta as fuck. But I don't want to listen to that shit. I don't want to listen to people talk about Jingle All the Way. I just, I'll, I'll rather watch Jingle All the Way. It's bad, but I love it. No, I re-listened to a King Falls Christmas story, a the Christmas episode of King Falls AM. Which what is- was a rather good podcast made by people that I can't stand. It's kind of like anything Rooster Teeth makes nowadays. Yeah, really kind of just one creator that I can't stand, but like pissed me off so much I was down with it. But it's fine. Turns out he pissed me off at just the right time where I didn't have to give up the show because it just never continued. Yeah, yeah. But the best part, it's a random musical no one was expecting. Yeah, because I assume most people have heard of Community. Mm-hmm. I assume most people know what Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are. I assume most people have heard of the X-Men animated series, if only because of yeah if only because of the theme song and i'm also gonna assume most people know what scrubs is because mm-hmm. like it's the best sitcom ever made bar none all you friend stands can fight me yeah. but king falls am less less well known yeah it's very much the same vibes as like twilight zone twin peaks yeah, it's uh, x-files ish it's got but it's a little more comedic oh no it's definitely more comedic like mm-hmm uh, the entire thing is just set as a AM talk show, King, King Falls AM, and it's in a town called King Falls where weird supernatural shit happens sometimes. Yes. But to the relevance of this episode of it, the co-hosts have a falling out because Bin, one of the co-hosts, girlfriend has been abducted by aliens, it seems, or just disappeared, they're not entirely sure, and Bin realizes he doesn't know much about his co-host Sammy, so... She was abducted by the floating lights. Yeah, the, light, the lights in the sky. Lights in the sky, that's what they're called. Yeah, yeah the lights in the sky. He realizes he doesn't know much about his co-host, so he has like a notebook where he's like putting down all his theories and shit, and one of his theories is that Sammy is involved. So Sammy sees it, 
gets upset and they have a falling out like right before this episode starts. Which I mean, in Sammy's defense, Sammy and Ben are friends. Sammy is new to town for in King Falls. Yeah. But Sammy and Ben are friends and they've been friends for like two years now. Not not by this point. Almost two years now. Because No, that, this is his first Christmas in King Falls. Oh, okay. So not not even a full year. Yeah. But like still they've been friends for months. Oh yeah, and also, you know, Sammy was like, Hey, I like you so much, this show was just supposed to be mine, but you're gonna be on fucking co-host now. Stop being a fucking intern. Yeah. Well not and an intern, he was he, he was the producer. Yeah, he was the producer. Yeah. That's right. And you're gonna join me for this. Yeah. And they have really good chemistry and shit. They're fun. But so it starts off with them being mad at each other. Sammy is in the booth and Ben is off in town yeah, for a Christmas, Christmas tree, tree lighting. ceremony, yeah. Yeah. So really I don't really know how much there is to say about this episode other than it's a really like musically, it's really fun and has a lot of different styles. It also canonizes Glinda the Racist Witch as actually being magical. Yes, there's a character called Glinda the Racist Witch. Mm-hmm. And she casts a spell when she's talking to Sammy on the phone. And she's as incredibly offensive as her name implies. Yeah, not so much in this episode, but in general, yeah. I mean, she does say, Haha, I'm hoping that we have a very white Christmas with the implication that she's talking about white people, not snow. Well, she starts to say white. Sammy cuts her off and she's like, I was going to say white Christmas. And he's just like, sure you are. Yeah. Yep. We, we both knew we were going to say white people, and she's like, no, though I do find them preferable. Yeah, she she's yeah. problematic. She also It's also highly insinuated that she was going to badmouth the fact that Ben is Jewish as well. Yes. But, so in this episode, we get, I'll kind of just go for what the songs are about. Our first song should just be a song where Ben is saying he's sorry, like vaguely-ish. I honestly don't remember. I haven't listened. I, I did re-listen to this back in like, june or july because yeah. i restarted the entire series honestly i remember all of the songs except for the first one because okay. we got uh hb3's trees 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 hb3 is an evil rich vampire maybe vampire he's an evil rich vampire but uh we have an hb3 song about trees he bought all the christmas trees and it's it's just a fun song to be fair trees in, trees in trees. this case like, like i don't think hb3's being like a legitimate villain i think like this is just a thing like a stupidly he, rich person he did would, it literally just to spite the people in town but he decorated all of them and like has yeah no one's allowed to see them a christmas wonderland thing going on like yeah no i no, it's 100 percent like yeah he, no he basically just says he did it despite them in the song yeah it, it's just fun though then we have a song from troy who is a police officer that sam and ben are friends yeah. with and Jacob, whatever his name is, gets involved, which is the town criminal, basically, who is also a sexual pervert, but not the sexual pervert that Creepy Carl is, because Creepy Carl is a guy who has ads occasionally that runs on the program. Creepy Carl's candy van, come on down. He's a pedophile. That's that, the joke. That, that's the entire joke. He's yeah. a pedophile, yeah. And Troy has the fun little rap song that goes back and forth between him and Jacob about Christmas. It, it's actually really good. And they include a cop siren really well into the ending part of the song. Then we have a song from a reverend. Like classic megachurch reverend style character. I wouldn't call it. It's he's a, he's a revival reverend. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like a pop up revival tent reverend. Yeah. And the main chorus of that song is Santa up, devil down. And I'm that. I'm not gonna lie, compositionally, I don't like it lyrically, but I enjoy the song overall. It's just catchy and fun. My favorite part about that character, Reverend, get right with God, Hathaway. Ha- Hathaway, yeah. Reverend, get right with God, Hathaway. My favorite part is his revival starts a putt putt place in town called Glory Holes. It's all themed Christian, but it's called Glory Holes. Yeah, it- it's actually amusing. That's a good joke. Mm-hmm. And then there is a song from Archie. No. Does Archie get a song? No, Archie shows up briefly in the end song. Oh, okay. So same with like um Herschel and such. Okay. 
But throughout this entire thing, Sammy's just like freaking out because no one else realizes they're singing. It's just that. Yeah, because Glinda cursed him, essentially. Yeah, and he's annoyed because he keeps getting calls and he's pissed at Ben, basically. You really just come to this episode for the songs, in my opinion. Like, it actually kind of moves the story forward. It's actually very important for moving the story forward. It's actually pivotal for moving the story forward. It's wild. Only kind of. No, it, it's it's insanely pivotal because this is also, we also get a call from, um what's her name in this episode? No. No? No. Okay. The only thing this does is fix Sammy and Ben's relationship. That seems insanely pivotal. The same thing that's done here could just be solved by Sam finding Ben talking to himself out loud because that's quickly what he does here. Or find another book that Ben's written in that's talking about how sorry he is. Like, that's all it is. Or about how depressed he is. That's a fair... Literally could be done in any other format. You just come to this for the music. And and don't get me wrong, I enjoy it. Because, like... The song we hear from Ben is literally just being, being like, oh shit, I'm literally fucking heartbroken. I don't know how I'm going to go on without like this woman that I love who just fucking disappeared. I'm stressed. I have no idea what's going on. I've been wearing myself down and uh, my fucking best friend hates me now. Like, what the fuck is going on with my life? And he's like legitimately super depressed in the song. And Sammy hears it because he like tries to call to see how the Christmas light jury stuff is going. And then Sammy just is like, ah shit, I guess I'm going to go down there. And then Ben calls him back. And then they have a song about how next year's going to be better. Yeah, this year sucked, but next year's going to be better. Yeah. And honestly, the song is really good. And like, I was behind on King Falls when it first came out. And the first time I listened to the song, I think was 2018. And then I kind of forgot about it. And when I re-listened to it in 2019, my brain just went, oh, when I re-listened it in 2020, sorry. My brain just went, oh yeah, this year was shit. Maybe next year will be better. Fun fact, 2021 wasn't better. Yeah, fair. Yeah, King next Falls AM. is all that I need. <laughs> King Fool's Aim is pretty good. Uh, I would suggest listening to it if you're completely okay with a series that doesn't have a satisfying ending because it just stops. Yeah, it stops on like a really big fucking cliffhanger too. Yeah, yeah. My last show I watched, well, my last episode I experienced was a show. And while it takes place at Christmas, isn't really a Christmas episode. I kind yeah. of messed up. You're uh, fine. I was debating not doing a really Christmas-heavy episode. Anyways, it's an anime called Bakuman. You've heard us talk about it before. It's literally the best anime ever and best manga, and if you think otherwise, you're wrong. If you think otherwise and your opinion isn't Cowboy Bebop, you're wrong. See, Or, I, or Kids on the Slope. Okay. If it's not a Watanabe That's a fair anime. argument, but I think Cowboy Bebop is probably the best anime ever, but Bakuman is my favorite Yeah, Bakuman is literally just fucking amazing. This actually, I'll get to that in a second. So, quick run, Bakuman is a manga and an anime, it has an anime adaptation, about two high schoolers that want to become manga, Japanese comic book, writers and artists. So this episode takes place around Christmas, it centers around the main characters trying to get their new series serialized, and technically if they don't get it serialized at this meeting between the editors, they'll never have an opportunity with this company again to get serialized. Yep. They're basically risking their entire career based on the fact that what they're submitting could outsell the current bestsellers in their comic book collection. They get the okay, but it's not because the editors believe that they can beat them, but it's because the editors think that they have a chance. Yeah, and they... They don't want to, like, lose this these artists yeah, forever based on this. The one. editors all vote, and it's like four to three against... And they were just like, one of the guys is just like, I can't fucking let it go on that. That's fucking bullshit. These guys are really fucking talented. I changed my vote. Then like everyone except for the head editor changes their vote. So it ends up being like six to one. Yeah. And like, if they don't approve the series for serialization, um, our main characters who go by the pen name Asherogi can never be serialized with them again. Yep. And their thought process is even if this can't beat the two best series we have right now, losing the, these two artists who are like still in high school and like 17 losing them at this point in their career would be a massive mistake uh so they get they get their series approved they're not in high school at this point they're not in high school at this point 
By this point, they should be graduated. Oh, you're right. This is deep in season two. Mm-hmm. Almost the end of season two. They also get reunited with their original editor in this episode. They, for, the, for most of season two, they spend it with a new editor who kind of forces his own ideas of what's good yeah. and what he likes onto them, even though they're more serious artists. I don't mean more serious artists. They work on more serious topics. He wants them to do like comedy work because he, that's what he enjoys and that's what's, yeah. what he sees as popular. But they're He not- calls it timeless. But they're not really good at comedy. They're really good at drama and suspense and stuff. Yep. But so they get their old editor back. And honestly, this is just a feel-good episode. Our main character, Mashiro? Mashiro, yeah. Mashiro. The whole thing kind of here is that our main character, Mashiro, since like the start of episode one, has declared that he's going to marry the girl that he likes from high school. Yeah. Actually, middle school. Actually, he's liked her since elementary school, but he declares it when they're in middle school. If they both succeed at their dreams, him becoming a successful manga artist and getting his manga turned into an anime, and her her dream of being a voice actress, then they'll get married. She'll appear in his anime and then they'll get married. Yeah. And they don't really see each other or like have contact because like they're both trying to pursue these dreams. And I think it's more romantic to not do that. That are very work intensive. And she sends him A a cake for Christmas. And in that cake... Is a USB drive that has her singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas because she's a voice actress and in Japan voice actresses do a lot of singing. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's not uncommon for a voice actress to sing the theme song of the show that they're in. Mm-hmm. And so... She also sings it in English. Yeah. Honestly, really good episode. Bakuman's very good. Not a very Christmassy episode. Like, only the first 10 minutes are on Christmas and only, only the first, like, 10 minutes or so deal with Christmas at all. But when I went to watch this episode, I thought it was a different episode. I thought it was a little yeah. more involved. Uh, honestly, the episode I, think, I was thinking of was a New Year's episode. Yeah. Honestly, I think, though, out of all the stuff we talked about, it's probably the most feel-good episode of any of the things. Yes. But also, Bakuman's just, like, an emotionally heavy show with, like, you. really feel-good moments. And the opening theme song dream of life is just he's always fantastic yeah every op and every ending for this series is fantastic this series is fantastic it's only got like an 8.2 on my anime list which is the most quote-unquote accurate algamation of ratings for anime on the internet because it's the largest one i hate it and at 8.21 puts it at like 309th place yep but honestly bakuman is so much better than so many other things i've seen that rank higher than it oh yeah definitely bebop's 25 Bebop is one of the best animes ever made. In my opinion, yep. the best anime. I enjoy Bakuman more. Oh, yeah, definitely. Bakuman is just fantastic. And that brings me to a thing I did want to talk about on this episode, which has no bearing on holidays or Christmas. The difference between best and favorite. Yeah. Because when people ask you what's your favorite of something, what do you think? Or like, when people ask you, what do you think is the best movie you've ever seen is? Our typical uh, response is like to go to the movie we like the most or our favorite movies. Yeah. That's wrong, right? Like, just because something's your favorite doesn't mean it's the best thing you've seen. Like, I Oh, yeah, definitely. Separating, like, what you enjoy and what is artistically good, not saying that you can't, not saying what you enjoy isn't artistically good, but, like, people don't necessarily just enjoy the best thing. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. Like, there are lots of people who like to watch bad things. Yeah. Like, I watched this Power Rangers and I enjoyed it. It's not good. So, what is the best movie? The best movie? Yeah, that you've ever seen. <laughs> if you ask critics, it's a guy with the Green Knight. <laughs> god it's a good answer good answer uh i don't i don't agree with that like even from a, a movie standpoint like looking at his construction i think that's wrong yeah i think guy went in the green night was terrible we ran honestly on that already, the one that i can think of is probably I, i'm torn between two okay. actually i would say it's either the king's speech okay because it's movie. actually a really really well executed mo- movie yeah or unsurprisingly i am tempted to say vertigo 
fair hitchcock it's a really really good hitchcock film i think most people would probably say psycho from him but i think vertigo has a lot better camera work i like vertigo more than and like he the man pioneered so many great fucking shots like one of my favorite examples is from psycho they're like when he zoomed in on the shower head, mm-hmm. he can't, he couldn't zoom in like that. It didn't work. And then so the camera had, would get all wet. So they had to build a giant shower They built a giant shower head. They didn't have water coming down the middle. So they could put their giant ass fucking camera there. Yep. He was also, I think, the first person to show a toilet flush in movies because they, they didn't allow that. There was nothing in the toilet, but they wouldn't they didn't want toilets to show up in television or movies or anything. It's just like, I want that toilet to flush. Yeah. That was just a fun thing, but yeah, I think Vertigo is probably the best film. Okay, at least that I've seen. Can you can you name your favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? I know typically you like break favorites into categories because it's easier that way to handle. Yeah. Um. If not, it's okay. I I'm gonna go ahead and like talk about a movie I think is the best movie I've seen. Uh, just because you mentioned it earlier, because you were questioning it. My favorite anime movie is a uh, Koei no Kitachi, a Silent Voice. It's very very good. Yeah. I think my favorite animated movie is a cat return is the cat returns yeah i mean if i'm if you're talking about my favorite like ghibli movie it's when marnie was there ghibli's anime animated yeah yeah i'm just saying i like a silent yeah, yeah, voice yeah. more than that that's fair I, I already broke it down into another category see so i think the best movie i've ever seen is either clockwork orange the movie is really really well done it's a great it is by far my favorite kubrick film I had another one in my head. Probably just Clockwork Orange. Let's go with that. Clock- yeah. Clockwork Orange is just a masterful like combination of acting, directing, music. Everything it does, it does well. Yeah. Like I definitely think the acting in Clockwork Orange is stronger than in Vertigo. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, Vertigo also- has better camera and directorial. It's also got like 15, 20 years on Vertigo, right? Like Yeah, yeah. So Vertigo is old, but I, I think Vertigo does what it does really fucking well. Mm-hmm. But- Though Kubrick does have a really good way of making a clockwork orange like viscerally uncomfortable at points yeah uh no it's definitely not my favorite movie honestly I, i've watched it twice and i might watch it again in like the next two three years but it's not a movie i want to re-watch no like which is uh, part of what i think makes it like a best movie mm-hmm. but not a favorite movie i mean it, it very much makes me think of the book horns yeah that book makes me viscerally uncomfortable to read mm-hmm Fair, a hundred percent. Which, when it's try, since it's trying to make you uncomfortable, it's trying to do these horrible things. Like that book does it really, really well. And the movie makes me viscerally disappointed that it's not on the same level as the book. Yeah, yeah, agree. Although if it was on the same level as the book, it wouldn't be a movie because they no, could, you like, couldn't watch it. Yeah, it would not have been able to get a rating. It would not have been able to be put in yeah. theaters. My favorite movie is The Replacements. Yeah, you weird. Uh, which is a mid-tier movie at best, but it's just like watching it makes me feel good. You know what the best scene in the movie is? Glory fades, chicks disc- disc scars. Uh, fuck, I can't remember the speech. God damn it. That's the best scene. Or like a duck. Those are the best scenes. See, I disagree. Quicksand's also a great scene. See, I disagree with all that. Or um, what do you think you're doing? We're the guards. We're protecting our quarterback. Yeah. My, my opinion, the best scene in that movie. Or the sign language scene where... Yeah, no, I get you. <laughs> my opinion, the best scene in the movie has no dialogue. Is it the you're an asshole? That was that no. has dialogue. Okay. Uh, it is the opening of the movie. Oh, yeah. Where we see Keanu Reeves underwater with the trophy. It's shot really well. It has a great soundtrack, and it literally, I, I don't know, there's something I visually find pleasing about that scene every time I see it. Quicksand. Quicksand's the best scene. I, I, I've leveled it out. I just love the opening scene of the movie for that. Like, there's something I find incredibly pleasing about that opening. God, I, I like how I just, like, was flipping through scenes. Like, yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew you weren't going to get it, because 
I don't like it's arguably not the best scene. It is just my it's the best shot scene. Y- yes, it is the most visually pleasing scene to look at. Uh, yeah, again, this goes down to the difference between best and favorite. It's the best like shot scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite scene in the movie and maybe one of the best scenes like from a storytelling perspective is the locker room meeting that they have. Well, yeah, another one about quicksand is definitely the, locker the room best practice act they have. is like the best scene with dialogue where they talk about fears mm-hmm. and we get the quicksand. Yeah, like that is probably one of the most important, like one of the best scenes in the movie from a storytelling perspective. I don't know. For some reason, like best and favorite just plays on my head a lot because like people talk about what they think is the best show ever or the best anime ever. This is the oh, best yeah, yeah. adaptation ever. And like, I don't think they actually mean best. I, th- I think they just mean my personal favorite. I really, I personally really like this. Yeah, like I personally really, really like I Dream of a White Ranger. Nowhere near the best. And I personally really, really like, actually, everything I talked about today is the best. Bakuman's the best. No, Bakuman's my favorite. That's actually a really good distinction. Yeah. Also, I mean, not everything can be the best because you consider Scrubs to be the best sitcom. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about Community. Which is also the best sitcom. See, that doesn't work. <laughs> okay, but see, see, they, they do work because one is a workplace comedy, Scrubs. And the other... Ah, so now you're breaking things down into subcategories like I do. Yeah, they're both the best sitcoms. <laughs> I'm cheating here, but they're both the best sitcoms. Yeah. I mean, it's just like how we both agree that uh, for fantasy books, The Wise Men's Fear is probably the best prose. Yeah. But like Gentleman Bastards is probably the best. Like The best way to put it is The Wise Men's Fear is the best written book I've ever, I've yeah, ever yeah, experienced. Yeah. But my favorite book by a fucking mile is still The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Because even though it's not as good... I like it more. I get that. I enjoy it more. I, I experience more I experience more relatable emotional triggers and emotion from person being a wallflower. It's a more emotional experience for me than wise men's fear is. But yeah, so I think that's how I determine what I like more is like what makes me feel more uh, understandable. Yeah. But anyways guys, so that's been our opinions on some of the not best, but that's been some of our favorite Christmas specials for shows. Before we get out of here, though, I do want to go over a quick, a few quick things we have coming up. Mm-hmm. Friday, we'll be releasing a special bonus content episode. That's the, on the 17th. 17th. You'll figure out why it's coming out on the 17th and not a day that has a two in it. But so the 17th, we have a special content coming out. Probably only yep. a half hour, 40 minutes at most. Shouldn't but, be too long, but you never know. But look forward to it. We got a special guest on that one. On the 22nd, we have our second Christmas show review for the month. And then on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we have our Christmas movie review. Yep. And on the night of the 25th, probably around 9, 10 p.m., unless things change. And if they do, we'll tweet it. We're going to take that movie reviewed on Christmas Eve and do a live watch party on Discord. So come hang out with us on the Discord. Yep, that's the plan. Uh, if things change, we'll, we'll notify the Discord and just send out tweets. So follow us on Twitter at Copilot's Review. Find our Discord as a link on our website at copilot'sreview.simplecast.com. And if you want to tell us what your favorite Christmas special is, or you want to tell us why one of them is objectively the best, you can do that by emailing us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. Thanks for hanging out with us in the cockpit. We'll see you on our next flight. Enjoy your holiday season.